Today's podcast is brought to you by Patreon supporter Bruce Bradford Royal. If you'd like to learn how you can support the podcast through a small, recurring monthly donation, click on schooloflaughs.com forward slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thanks, Bruce. Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by schooloflaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the podcast. This is Rick Roberts, and thanks again to all of our Patreon supporters, uh, especially Bruce Bradford Royal, who just uh, signed on recently to support the podcast through Patreon. If you are not supporting the podcast through Patreon, now is a great time to get in. At just $7 a month, you get to be part of Club 52. If you're new to this podcast, Club 52 is a weekly email list that you belong to where I prod you each week to get a little bigger, better, and more bookable. I'm just looking at the list here of stuff we covered in the past year. Uh, We talk about how much gigs pay, how to quote a fee, how to follow up after the event to get more bookings, how to get your bookings back on track if they've kind of tapered off over the years. You just can't blame the marketplace. You have to adapt and evolve and be part of the solution that event planners, club bookers are looking for. So if you're not getting booked as much as you used to, there are things you can do to help yourself out. We talk about speakers bureaus, how to get in with them if you're a good fit for them. We talk about your stage persona, your point of view, uh, your comedic style. We talk about showcases, how to prepare a showcase set, brand, branding, marketing, Uh, All kinds of things. So if this sounds like the missing piece of your comedy career, take my word for it. Jump in here and become part of Club 52. It's very easy. You go to schooloflast.com forward slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and you can find out all about the different ways you can learn and get better at comedy. Well, I got better at comedy and the business of performing. Oh, about a decade ago, I bumped into Damian Mason. Damian uh, used to be known primarily as one of the top Bill Clinton impersonators in the country. Uh, back when Clinton was in office, Damian was in high demand as the ch- commander in chief. And we were working a gig for an agricultural group, and he was impersonating Bill Clinton, and I was impersonating Barney Fife. I came in and secured the area before the president came in. And I had written some specific material for that group that day, and Damien saw that, and we kind of collaborated on some things for a little while after that. And one of the most important things he told me was, you need to join the National Speakers Association because there's a million things you're not doing that you could be doing better. And he was right. I joined the NSA group about five years ago, and it's definitely up my game. It's up my fee. It's up my amount of bookings. All kinds of great things have happened since I've joined the National Speakers Association. And that's where I bumped into Damian Mason for this interview. This was in Orlando just a month or two ago. And he gave us a lot of great specific advice on how he got where he is now and how you can up your game. So without any further ado, let's jump into the interview with Damian Mason. Well, I am here with Damian Mason in beautiful cloudy Orlando, Florida, and I wouldn't be at a NSA, National Speakers Association conference, had it not been for Damian Mason many years ago, uh, mentioning that I should try to get better with the business part of what I do, because we knew each other from some some gigs, like I mentioned earlier, and uh, I definitely want to say thanks for all that, Damian, because I've I've upped my game since joining this group. You don't need to know everything, but you can learn something every time you come to one of these conferences to move yourself a little bit forward. 
You knew everything about being funny. No, you didn't, because as your listeners know, and you and I both know, you can always get better at being funny. You, This is not something, you know, I'm sure Johnny Carson on his deathbed probably came, something came to him about being funny. But there's things about the business, and there's also things that the corporate meeting place is doing. And by joining this organization, we both keep up with what the corporate and association meeting market is doing because there's stuff that we maybe wouldn't see in our little universe. So that's a valuable lesson to the people who are listening to this. You're probably good at doing something. And you probably say, man, do I need to invest time and energy into this new endeavor? You do, even if you glean just a couple of things out of this session and a, and a couple of little lessons and nuggets that's what you got to be a prospector at something like this. Yeah, and I remember the first gig that we did, uh, you mentioned to me that when you do the afternoon meeting with the client, you shouldn't show up in camouflage pants, ripped up uh, tennis shoes, and a sweatshirt that's missing a couple of letters off the front. And uh, I had never even thought about that. In my mind, I was like, they're going to see me in the afternoon as this this road dog, and then I'm going to be popping in here later tonight, all dressed up. They're going, man, that guy cleans up well. But you're I, like, I told you that, <laughs> and I'm glad you never forgot it. And you probably thought, who is this dude? But I was trying to help you out because, and and people listening right now, you've got friends that you're going to run across on the circuit. You've got folks that you've worked with professionally, and Rick and I were that way. There we are at the Marriott across the street from the St. Louis Airport for yep. a corporate event. We both had to come to the sound and room check, which is very important. If you want to be a professional, you get there. If they say, can you show up at 4 p.m.? Yeah, I land on the airport at, at the airport at 2 o'clock. There's no reason I can't be in that room at 4 p.m. Cocktails are at 5.30. Dinner's at 6.30. They're going to put Rick on at 7.45, and you follow him. Maybe that was the flow that night. So there's no reason why you shouldn't be there at 4 p.m. But also, I kind of went this direction. When you're still doing clubs, it's one thing. They don't expect you necessarily to be the corporate person. But when the corporation is there, they've got professional sound and lights, and they've got 240 of their sales force, maybe you shouldn't show up in a, in a pair of sweats and a T-shirt that says, you know, uh, I rode the beast at King's Island. <laughs> right. You probably should actually show up and look a little bit more corporate because that's their world. They don't expect you to be GQ, nor do they expect you to be the CEO of Chrysler uh, Automotive Group. But they do expect probably that you should be a little bit uh, more toward their leanings of uh, dress and decorum. Yeah, I've started ever since then. I've got my pre-show clothes, which I, is one more thing to iron when I get there. But it's business casual, and when they see me, they don't freak out. Like, oh, I don't know if we should have this guy on stage later. But that was an interesting gig. I won't talk about it too long, but that was one of the few times that I worked alongside another guy who was doing an impression. I went out as Barney Fife and kind of secured the area, and I'd done some research on the client and actually grilled people in the audience about their own company off of stuff that was on the homepage of their website, and most of the people didn't even know what it was. And they couldn't even quote their tagline for their company or anything. So, you know, as Barney Fife, I'm like, yeah, you must not be part of this group, you know, and give them a ticket or whatever. And then once I got the area secure, you come out, and this was how many years ago? As Bill Clinton. Yeah, it was the early 2000s. I was still doing my Bill Clinton show, and for your listeners that don't know who I am, I got my start. I quit my job in 1994 uh, to create a political satire program where I would dress up as Bill Clinton, 
come into corporate events. I mean, I did clubs and we did backyards and basements and garages like all mm-hmm. of us do starting out, but eventually morphed into corporate and association events where you come in dressed up as Bill Clinton as a surprise guest and do political comedy and current event material on stage. So yeah, you were the room sweep Barty Five, got the crowd laughing during cocktails and appetizers. Then after dinner, eh, then they got up and did the surprise. Well, you've already seen the security and here we are and boom, boom, boom. Here's the former president of the United States, Bill Clinton. So that show went away. I don't do Bill Clinton anymore. Uh, of course, me and thousands of women can say that. <laughs> Little joke there for you, but hey, jokes are yeah, plug in the laugh track right there. So yes, <laughs> me and thousands of women don't do Bill Clinton anymore. I don't do the Bill Clinton show anymore. I don't miss it. Political comedy was my background. You learn a lot doing political comedy. But what to your point, we were both impersonators, if you will. You did an impression, an impersonation of Barney Fife. You know, a huge character, a nostalgic character from Mayberry, a TV show that still I think is on TV. That's the claim to fame with Andy Griffith's show that since nineteen what sixty four they've never yeah. not been on TV or something. Uh, fantastic character. You do a heck of a job with that. Your character had a lot more years than the Bill Clinton thing. Bill Clinton lasted from 94 when I quit my job until just a couple of years ago. I was still doing it. I've brought that show off the shelf three or four different times. Clinton goes away, 2000. We're still doing it into the 2000s because it's still funny. Here's former President Bill Clinton. It's reasonable that he would be there. For some of those corporate events, they thought, Bill Clinton might be, or he's on the mm-hmm. lecture circuit. And of course, they hired me for a lot less than he was charging. And I was funnier. And then it finally wears itself out. Hillary doesn't uh, get the uh, the bid to be the candidate in 08. So the Bill Clinton thing goes away. It was part-time really up until then anyway. Then about 2015, it's time to roll it out again because after all, we've got now Hillary as the candidate. Well, then we saw how that worked out. So yeah, we put Bill Clinton away. We thought in 01, 02, Kind of kept coming up because they said, boy, there's just nothing good in political comedy right now. Would you still come be former President Bill Clinton at our corporate event? And we sold it and it worked okay. Not nearly as popular as it had been. But what your listeners need to realize is a lot of comedy shows have a shelf life. Mm -hmm. If Sam Kennison were still alive, he couldn't still be coming in there screaming about Ethiopians dying because they're trying to plant corn and sand in the desert. I mean, it was funnier in hell. (laughs) It was funnier in hell in the 1980s, but it would have run its course. Andrew Dice Clay had a unique character, not even something I'm a fan of. I never liked that program. I think it's a little too raunchy, a little too simplistic, if you will, a little too uh, raunchy sophomoric, if you will. But it would have run its course, and it did. So everything runs its course. You can say, well, of course, dressing up as Bill Clinton is going to run its course. It would never last forever because he's a president, and they have eight years at most. Well, it did last longer than that because he was such a character. My show was a caricature. You take the Bill Clinton, you make it a you know, just like if you draw a caricature of yourself at the uh, carnival you go to. That's what I did with the Bill Clinton show. I made a walking, breathing, talking caricature, which was a comedic, punched-up version of Bill Clinton. It ran. It got put away. It ran again in 07, 08, because Hillary was uh, running against Obama. We thought she was going to be the candidate. Then it ran again briefly at the uh, toward 2016. So it's all gone, and I'm no longer Bill Clinton. I will say this one thing, though. Even though you had done it back in the day when you brought it back out, 
um, you invested some money in some prosthetics the second time around, and you did the older version of Bill Clinton kind of when you came back. You're older, but you had the prosthetics that kind of added to that. And even though I knew that you were going to be speaking at this NSA thing, was it three or four years ago? Two years ago, yeah. 2015, the meeting was in Washington, D.C., so of all things, it was the perfect place to relaunch and reinvent Bill Clinton. At the time that Hillary was getting back into it. So I walk in the room. You'd been on stage maybe two or three minutes. And I know you, and I know you were going to be doing this because we talked about it a few weeks ahead of time. And I'm still not sure if it's you because it was so good. And I was just far enough back away where maybe that even played into it. You had new material. You had some some writing. It's pop, pop, pop. So even though you bring something back from five, six, ten years ago, you punched it up and made it relevant, which was was pretty cool. That's the challenge, of course. Uh, anybody that's in the business of comedy they they or aspire to be in the business of comedy, they're going to say, man, all you got to do is just relaunch that. Just pull that thing out of mothballs. Well, pulling it out of mothballs doesn't mean that it uh, is good as it is. Yeah, we put a fresh paint job on it, but we also actually tore down to the studs and started over, really, because we did do prosthetics. I did get a makeup man. I did age the character. I I did get a better hairpiece, and then obviously we did a hefty rewrite of material. Another thing that we did, conscious decision, if we would have been doing the show at length, we shortened it. I used to do a 40 to 45 minute set when Bill Clinton was in the presidency, and also right not too long after, you know, by when you and I were working together in 03 or 04, it was still fresh because he was not that far removed from the office, and he could be reasonably commenting on Obama's treatment of Gitmo or whatever mm-hmm. the thing might be. But by 2016, we shortened it to a 20-minute set or an 18-minute set, and we said, now this is where it needs to be to keep energy level up. You got an older person further removed from relevance. So if you're going to keep your product relevant as a comedy show, it is a product. I know you've probably told all of your all of your clients and all of your listeners that. View what you do on a stage like you might view everything from a Coca-Cola to an automobile. It's a product. It has to serve some purpose that people are willing to pay their money for. And you cannot rest on your laurels and let it get outdated. Yeah, that's great stuff. And on that same line, you know, you still have some humor in all the programs you do, but you spoke recently and your mo- most current programs on reinvention. And, uh, and you did that with the Bill Clinton thing. You did that with yourself in your speaking career and reinvented the next phase of it. I'm just curious, in, in all the research you did to get that program up and running, uh, can you give me an example of a company that did it really well when they reinvented and maybe a company that failed horribly? Yeah. Remember, everything we do is a product. And and I think that's the best lesson. I know you teach uh, folks everything about timing and, and efficiency, tightening up an act, all those kinds of things. The best thing from the very beginning we must always remember is what we do on a stage or on a recorded uh, bit – is a product, whether you're listening to it on satellite radio or back in the old days, they bought cassette tapes. You know, I had Eddie Murphy tapes when I was a kid. I'm sure you had something like that. Everything that we offer, whether it be recorded or on a live stage, is a product and you want somebody to get some benefit from that for their money. Well, with that in mind, it can't stay, it can't get stale because so our product is not like any other product. So you talk about somebody that reinvented very nicely. We talked about our what we do on a stage. You've got to constantly reinvent. Best example I can give you, Old Spice. You probably got a lot of guys that listen to this. When you and I were kids, Old Spice was what your dad wore. It was right. cologne or aftershave, and it maybe came in a little package at Christmas time. There was one bottle of aftershave, one bottle of cologne, and maybe a little bo- powder, a talcum powder. 
Old Spice was an old man's thing even then in the 70s when we were kids. So by the 90s, it's probably very much an old man's product. And certainly heading into the 2000s, it's like, man, this product's done. Look at what they did just a few years ago, Rick. Old Spice sort of took uh, the product and said, okay, what can we do? Because remember, if you want to reinvent, you got three ways to do it. You change your product, you change your customers, or you change your image. And to successfully reinvent, you're probably going to use aspects of all three. They reinvented their product because now body wash is a popular thing. It's especially popular in guys that are 30 and under. So Old Spice says, we've already got a line of stuff that smells good. That's a toiletry type bathroom product. Let's grab body wash and put the Old Spice logo on it. And then let's also kind of be fun about this. How are we going to reach younger people? Used to be you had a sailor walking around and he smelled like Old Spice in 1970. That was the commercial. If you're bored, look up some of that kind of stuff. Well, now you got to be more fun about it. So they hire this uh, young guy with no shirt on riding a white horse on a beach. They almost made a mockery out of men's fragrances and it became very funny. So they did change their product. They did change their image. And by doing both of those, they changed their customers. That's a good reinvention story. So when we look at what you and I do, we've got to keep changing our product. We're older guys. I'm going to be 48 tomorrow. You're 48 right now. We want to make sure we're still reaching a few new customers so that we don't die with uh, you know, our dad's era of Old Spice customers. So what can we do to change our product and then also change our image? And by doing both those, reach new customers. That's good. And is there a big difference in the in reinventing and rebranding? Because I think as we get older, it's it's really hard to rebrand and start from scratch. And like Old Spice kept what they had and built off of it and changed their market. For a comic or a company that wants to rebrand, is that a much harder path? It's to real hard for a couple of reasons. First off, a comic, anybody that's been professionally funny is going to cling to a little bit what got them there. You know, we we love our act. You love what you love. You still have a joke, I'm sure, that you love that you wrote in 1997. Yeah. You do. I do, too. Now, the good thing is the jokes I was writing in 1997 were political comedy jokes. You know, uh, you know I'll just tell you something. Uh, they always ask me on MTV. Uh, <laughs> by the way, this is Bill Clinton. For you, for you millennials out there, this is Bill Clinton voice. Uh, they asked me on MTV what kind of underpants I wore, and of course I told them briefs. Uh, funny thing is, the other day they was asking Bob Dole. You know, he's he's not he's not very young, and they said, "Hey, Bob Dole, is it boxers or briefs?" And he says, "Depends." <laughs> okay, there's a joke from 1996. The uh, Bob Dole was running against Bill Clinton. It was hilarious because obviously it's you catch him off guard. You turn a little bit left, and also you're making an age joke. So. I can't use that joke today. That joke has no relevance. Bob Dole is gone. Uh, it, it's just it's just gone. So we've got to change our material. And it was no question for me because I was a political comedy guy dressed up as Bill Clinton. Of course, I'm going to change. You've got jokes. Everybody listening to this thing has a joke that they used three, five, seven, nine years ago. Those things are good. We sleep with our act. Our act put food on our table. We love our stuff. I've got bits right now that I do for my ag crowds about horse people. I've got three and a half minutes of horse people material. I get 12 to 14 laughs in in three and a half minutes. It kills. The thing is, there's going to come a day where I probably need to just retire that. That's material. That's product. And we're a product on the stage. Now, you said what happens with the reinvention thing because we're not Old Spice. What many people do in show business, 
they just put a new they do get a new photo shoot somebody gets to them their daughter their web designer yeah, finally yeah, gets through yeah someone says you you know you look old man you can't do that anymore look at you dad so finally you go and you get a new photo shoot done and you put a new postcard out there or a new one sheet or a new web page cover and your homepage cover has a picture of you with new photography and then you maybe even change your tagline instead of funny stuff that works you go with keeping work funny and you think man i just rebranded <laughs> no all you did was move a few words around right. and put a new picture on your website that is not a rebranding a rebranding probably has to have substance behind it we see this all the time example i use in my corporate program oldsmobile now, if you're of a certain age, meaning you're 35 or older, you certainly remember Oldsmobile. Oldsmobile was the number one car manufacturer sold in America in 1985, 86, 87. The Cutlass model, Cutlass Supreme, Cutlass Sierra, they were the thing had a pickup in it too, man. They were awesome. Okay, so there's Oldsmobile, and then by 2000, they're gone. They don't exist anymore. Well, early 2000, it was 04, that was their last year of being in business. So the when we were younger, it was... Oldsmobile uh, had been, it was the deal. And then they were starting to lose market share. So they tried to rebrand. They changed their logo from a rocket ship to something that looked like a little bit modern space age. And then they, they came up with a commercial that said, this is not your father's Oldsmobile. The problem is they were still selling Oldsmobiles to your father. So your father says, why are they picking on me? I'm your Oldsmobile right. customer. And then the kid says, it still looks like my father's Oldsmobile. So that's not a rebranding because there was no substance behind it. If you're going to rebrand, really, that should be, again, part of the mix. There must be a product change and a branding change at the same time. Get into body wash before you try and say you're changing the brand of Oldsmobile, of old spice to be see there i am Oldsmobile, old spice it's all old around this room it's right all now. old around this room <laughs> well because we're talking about products that got old yeah so yeah when we're talking about comics how do you rebrand i'll tell you how you rebrand first off you start pushing out new material and you start getting in front of different audiences you never were in front of and you're saying, well, how am I going to do that with my old look? Again, it's all simultaneous. This piece goes with this piece goes with this piece. Which one's first? I can't really tell you. Start by putting a new picture of you on the website. Start by changing comedy that works to working people's comedy, whatever. Begin with that and then keep changing the material to get in front of different audiences. And you're also going to have to prospect again. You got real comfortable. You got real lazy. Doing what always worked. Right. The phone was ringing. You were filling the calendar. You were getting some dates. And this applies to everyone. I know we got people that are not comics, not comedians listening. We got speakers. We got business people listening right now. You're a woman that sells Avon or you're a guy that's in the, you know, human resources, whatever it is. You're listening right now. Understand this. It's all about not resting on your laurels. You've got to continue to try and get in front of fresh customers. For us, it's, it's fresh new audiences. And sometimes it's a challenge. I know what my niche is really, really well right now. I'm great with ag crowds. I'm great with small biz crowds. I need more of them, but I also need to keep pushing out new material and new points to make so that the young people don't say, Damien, I don't even know what an Oldsmobile is. I'm 25. Right. <laughs> they went out of business 13 years ago. I was 12. I didn't even ride in one let alone know what one is. So I've got to keep coming up with relevant examples. And I say, okay, what about Radio Shack? And they say, don't even know what that is. I buy technology online. So I'm very cognizant, and you should be, and the people listening to this podcast right now should be as well. We 
can never rest on our laurels. We must always come up with relevant examples, relevant material, stuff that matters to them. Yeah, and you brought up uh, your niche, and that's something we could talk about a little bit that we haven't talked a ton on the podcast in the past about. And in the corporate speaking world, when I got into it, you know, that was the first thing I heard from everybody. You got you to get in a niche, and then you niche down, and you niche further down. And if you don't know what that term means, it means finding the group that you're most suited for or the, the group you, you think that you want to spend your time focusing on because they have the money or the resources or they're close, but whatever it might be. A niche can make you rich. Yeah, riches in the niches. <laughs> so, so a lot of comics, like at the time when I first came onto that, I'm like, you know, my comedy is clean. It's good for everybody, which is great. But it's really hard to advertise to everybody. You're not going to get the response. It's going to be too generic and all that. So you, because you you have a farm, because you grew up in that background, you wanted to target the ag market, and you did that great. And you're so deep into it now that you've you perform multiple times a year for some of the bigger ag companies, you know, and some of the same associations over and over again. You're looking more to get into the small business area because. Throughout this whole process, you and I have both become small businessmen, entrepreneurs. So- yeah, what happens, of course, is the step for me so that everybody listening gets it is, yeah, we go from political comedian, and then I went through a rough patch for several years because Bill Clinton thing's going away. Uh, I had some other business ventures that were a little bit of a struggle, and you know, 9-11 happened. You're on the corporate meeting market. I did My first gig I did after 9-11 was about four days afterwards, the, like the second day planes started flying again. Me and like three other, there was less than eight people on the plane. There was me, three flight attendants, two pilots, and like two other guys that were had to go to Iowa or something. So you you go through some real rough times as I did with uh, not only transitioning and reinventing from being Bill Clinton to the new you, but you also go through some rough financial times because the business changes, your product offering has to change, and then a th- throw a monkey wrench in there like 9-11, people are afraid to have planes, conventions are being canceled throughout the United States at a a rapid pace. And then also a bunch of my investments got knocked that I was having to turn to when things got soft. So after a few years, I found my new niche to reinvent and it was agriculture. I know agriculture because I was raised on a dairy farm. I own a farm. I own two farms now and I have a degree in agricultural economics. I know funny. So it took me a few years to sort of come back to the farm, if you will, on my business. And I started doing more ag events. And what I did, and your people that are right now listening, they're saying, oh man, that makes sense. But why did it take you so long? It takes long because you're just not sure where you're going to go. It's not as apparent, man. Everything looks good 2020, you know, uh-huh. in hindsight. <clears throat> I decided I'm going to get in front of these ag crowds and be funny. But when it really took off was when I started putting my commentary in there. And we know now as experienced veterans in comedy, great comedy isn't just, I oh, I just flew in from Albuquerque, my arms are tired. Yeah, okay, you didn't offend anybody, you also didn't say anything. Right. Great comedy has edge or point of view or commentary that people say, it's the old thing of a comedian's a professional observer. You and I are professional observers, and then we get up and we make our humorous point about the observation, but when you do it with a point of view that also has an edge, an angle, or a commentary is when the audience says, oh, wow, that's pretty sharp. They will reward you for your brilliance. I did that with agriculture. Nobody was ever taking the more heady observations than throwing their angle in it. 
unfortunately, ag had suffered for a long time. And you're talking, just so the people know, we're talking about seed, feed, chemical, banking, crop insurance, machinery. Everybody knows about John Deere. Realize also there are meetings of John Deere dealers. There are meeting uh, meetings of Case International dealers. There are meetings of every machinery you can think of, every piece of equipment, the people that sell the fertilizer, the chemical, the seed, the money, because it's a very capital intensive. So to have that niche doesn't mean you're doing a table of a room full of farmers. It might be a room full of guys that were raised on farms that now sell seed, a room full of ladies that are in finance for agriculture. So there's a bunch of that. Uh, it's, a, it's a good niche, but you also must realize you can be a one trick pony. So niche can make you rich and niche can be a comfort zone also. Because you get so good and you're so well known there that that's all you ever do. And then, of course, it's like the old thing, the salesman that just gets real comfortable with his 10 big customers Mm -hmm. who he goes golf with, you know, and all of a sudden he doesn't buy, he doesn't do any new prospecting. So that's the, the, peril of niching is that you can get real comfortable. And I said, I don't want to do that. So a bunch of agricultural people are also small business folks and a bunch of them get too entrenched. So I started doing programs about reinvention of your business. And that's where we're, we're moving in a different direction. We're still going to do agriculture. I still can do ag and food. And uh, that's fantastic. That's great. And with all these different changes, you mentioned, you know, updating websites, promotional materials of all the guys that I see, you know, in the speaker world and in the comedy world, you're constantly putting out social media content, LinkedIn commentary. And what he, what Damien does that comics can do, he mentioned making commentary on things, you know, he, he doesn't have to come up with the premise every single day. He can read the Wall Street Journal, he can read a farm magazine and comment on the industry in a funny way. Uh, you're great at calling out the, the gluten-free, all those crazy people. You yeah, know. food movements are a real popular thing. So if you're uh, saying to yourself, all right, how can I use this to my advantage? What you want to do is you've already got your sense of humor. Presumably, if you're in the business of funny, you've got the funny. Now, you've got a point of view also. If you're not four, you know, if you're not in kindergarten, you have developed a personality, probably a certain amount of attitude and a perspective. So take your point of view and then you've got your sense of humor and then everything you read, put it through your prism, your lens, if you will, and say, how, how do I view this? Well, I view this as only rich countries are able to have such food problems and food preferences and food allergies and food issues. Because you know what? If I gave peanuts to a kid in Africa, I bet you we're not going to find that he's allergic to peanuts. But go to the affluent suburb in Nashville, and I bet you 40% of the kids are allergic to peanuts. They aren't, but their mom is convinced that they are because they probably spit out peanuts once and then the mom went bananas. And I'm not being mean to the suburban moms in, the, in Tennessee. I'm being mean to suburban moms throughout the United States of America. because That's right. what we're allowed to do. Right. So you then you make a joke about that. You say, okay, uh, I bet you if I bet you every starving kid in Africa doesn't have a food allergy until we make them fat and lazy and give them video games and move them to America. And then all of a sudden, there's kind of your punchline, if you will. And I just made that joke up on the way right there. But that works, you know. And that's that's you finding your perspective in there. You're comment, commenting on a story that's already out there. People already have their opinion, and you you can flip some of those people around whether you want to or not, just by making them think. That's like when I grew up, George Carlin was on my radar. And then 
he, he had a lot of radio-friendly stuff that I would hear on the morning shows and different things. And then I think it was 1990 or so, he had the special about the environment. And I had just come out of college where I was planting trees. I was, I was shampooing with egg whites. I was uh, recycling like nobody's business. And 40 minutes into that HBO special, he launches into, you know, maybe the planet only needs us because it needs plastic and it don't, didn't know how to make it. And he's, he just goes so far deep into it. And I just start, I just throw the can in the regular garbage, you know. I start shampooing the next day. I start, I'm just cranking up the heat. I'm like, man, he's he nailed it. And that was a, an eye-opening thing for me because I was, had just started comedy. And I'm like, here's a guy who wasn't afraid of people booing or groaning or going, no. Oh. He's like, no, you could be an idiot. Let me just hold up the, the lens in the mirror for a while and let you see yourself through this. Yeah, he's not afraid, which is the, the, the tough part. And this is some of our people right now are saying, man, I don't know. I can't be George Carlin because uh, I want to do a corporate gig and they're never going to hire me. You still, you owe it. Yes, you owe it to the client that is paying you, whether it's a comedy club room or a corporate event, to do what they want because as a contractual, it's a fiduciary responsibility between you and the paying client. But I also tell my folks when I'm going to do this agricultural event or this business group, I say, remember, you've seen some of my stuff online. I'm not going to say the F word. I don't do that. I'm going to maybe say the H word once. I'm going to do an innuendo joke twice like Bill Clinton. Mm -hmm. I don't do Bill Clinton anymore. Me and thousands of women. Yeah, blah. Right. <laughs> Fine. Okay. So you get up there, though, and I'll give you a great example going to the peanuts thing. I do a bit on food problems because it's a first world problem. Again, no starving people in Africa are carrying on right now about their gluten intolerance. If you gave them a loaf of bread, they'd probably eat it. And they probably a bowl of gluten. <laughs> you give a bowl of gluten. I was raised it. on gluten. Okay. So let's not pretend. And then I make a joke. I did a, a group. It was the national like wheat association. And then uh, I'm, I'm up there being funny. I said, let me just tell you something. There's no such thing as gluten intolerance. There's just a thing called Darwinism. If spaghetti kills you, maybe it was not meant to be. <laughs> right. And of course, the crowd laughs and they go crazy. And I said, and let me go on about peanuts. 2% of the United States is allergic to peanuts, allegedly. 2%. 2% is allergic to peanuts. I can't get peanuts on a cross-country flight because of 2%. I can live with 2% less people on Delta Airlines. Yeah. And of course, the crowd laughs. I have a woman that comes to me afterwards and says, you know, you're very, very funny. And you've got some very, very interesting points. Because again, you take your point of view and your perspective with comedic edge, you put it in there. and You make people laugh. You make them think. You might switch some people, as George Carlin did, about the environment needed plastic because we invented it. And this woman says, you know, my son is allergic to peanuts. I said, lady, I think it's pretty obvious after 57 six minutes of you watch me i don't want your kid to die All right <laughs> okay my she's like well i think you're probably an okay guy i just want you to know there really are people that would die if they have peanuts. i said i don't want your son to die right. no. and if you were listening i did say two percent <laughs> yeah. is actually allergic and i and of course then i take that whole bit and go on to why is nobody taking care of me i have color blindness eight percent of american males are colorblind and they're not making special exceptions for us well you're saying colorblindness can't kill you i'm saying really 8% of American males are colorblind. You say it can't kill you? What color did you make the stoplights? Right, right, right. Yeah, red and green. So anyway, then, of course, the crowd kind of gets it. But that's perspective. So your listeners right now need to hear this. What you do is you always are an observer. Being a comedian is being a professional observer. And then you're trying to look at everything from your perspective Putting it through your lens, your point of view, and don't be afraid to put some commentary out there. Yes, get the yuck, then get the commentary, then get the yuck. 
that's what makes comedy good versus it just, I flew in from Albuquerque, my arms are tired. That's excellent. I'm going to wrap up here in a second, but I want to let people know where they can find you. It's DamienMason.com. You can see, uh, you know, check out his promo, see where he's positioning himself. I do like to ask uh, my guests, you know, if you had one tip you'd like to share with somebody, what would that be? Yeah, especially as it relates to this business, Rick. And by the way, it's Damien. D-A-M-I-A-N. There is a people that spell it with an E. D-A-M-I-A-N, Mason like a bricklayer. When I quit my job in 1994, I had three gigs lined up for $1,200 of gross revenue. That's what, you know, we've, we've all been there. We, we make it because we work really hard at it. I thought, because I was 25 years old, just a couple years out of college, that my job was to write jokes and sell jokes. I thought I was in the business of writing jokes. I thought that was my business, writing jokes. And about two years into my program, what started to take off, when my show started to hit and I started to actually make money and, and you know, really flow, it occurred to me, it wasn't about the jokes. Nobody ever paid me for jokes. Joke writers get paid for jokes, but performers get paid for laughter, for laughs, for camaraderie, for feelings, for your association audience walking out of that convention hall of auto dealers or whatever they are saying, man, this is the most fun we've ever had. That was awesome. And you don't necessarily need it for your ego. You need to stop and say, wait a minute, what did I just sell there? I didn't sell jokes. Right. I sold a feeling. So remember, it's never the product. You think it's the jokes. It's the product of your product that these people are really buying. It's the feeling. It's the escape from every day. It's the clairvoyance that you gave through comedy, whether it's like George Carlin or you or me, where you're saying, here's a point of view you haven't considered. Yeah, you've seen something about peanut allergies. Consider this. And that's what you're delivering is the feeling the takeaway is euphoric happiness. It's thought. It's, boy, I really love working for my company. Boy, I'm really glad I came out and escaped from my life today. You're selling feelings, not jokes. I'm going to leave it right there. That's what they're going to remember five years, ten years from now. They're not going to remember the knock-knock joke or the whatever joke. They're going to go, I like that guy. He made me feel good, and that's why they have you back. Well, thanks again, Damien, for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Rick. You got it. <laughs> Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with my good friend Damian Mason. Lots of great tips in there, uh, lots of good business tips. Whether you're a speaker or a comedian, I'm sure you can take some uh, tips from that episode and apply it fairly quickly. Again, if you want to apply tips every single week for less than $7 a month, you can join Club 52, support the podcast, and in return, become a member of Club 52 and get that weekly email that's going to help you learn to get bigger, better, and more bookable with very specific, applicable takeaways each and every week. You may have noticed that our release schedule has slightly altered here recently. Uh, what I want to do now is release episodes on the 1st and 15th of every month. That gives me a little bit more time, just a day or two, to get the episodes ready for you. And also, that release schedule coincides with the Insider Tip Sheet, which is separate than Club 52. requires no money to join. You just have to email me, schooloflaughs at gmail.com, and put Insider Tips in the subject line. And that email is uh, twice a month. Comes out, lets you know what's going on in the world of stand-up comedy. Brian Bates, my trusty buddy, uh, scours the internet and finds over 10 to 15 different news stories involving stand-up comics and puts those into the newsletter with me. And we recap the podcast episodes as well on the 1st and 15th when the podcasts come out. 
And lastly, if you're near any of these following cities, I'm going to be traveling through here the next few weeks. Maybe we can get together, grab a cup of coffee, or maybe an interview. Uh, if you've got a good idea for an interview, maybe we can do that. Rochester, New York, Syracuse, New York, Boston, Massachusetts, Orlando, Florida, uh, the Montreal, Canada area, Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, those are the next few weeks for me. So if you're in one of those cities or in the general area, let me know. Schooloflaps at gmail.com. And we can get together, grab a bite to eat, maybe a cup of coffee, and talk shop. Thanks again for listening, everybody. I appreciate you. Uh, we've got listeners in over 32 countries now, and it's pretty incredible. I've got people in the online comedy class from 12 different countries currently, including Iran, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, and the UK, China, and Russia. How about that? And also one in Italy. So all kinds of cool stuff there. Thanks for everybody for supporting the podcast one way or the other. I'll talk to you again on the first. This is Rick Roberts signing off. Stay safe and stay funny. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit SchoolofLaughs.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay funny.